I have no idea what we talked about on our episode that didn't get released. Oh, on the oh episode zero? <laughs> Everyone's asking about it. What are they we? What are we I bet it was Bowman stuff. Because episode, episode one was a lot of Bowman stuff. <laughs> the episode it, probably like one through 20 were a lot of Bowman stuff. I mean, it still is, man. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Sit and Kick podcast. Psych, you thought this is Coffee Club. Get out of here, Sit and Kick. You guys suck. No, that was too mean. We like them, but uh, but a little joke, a little joke to start off the uh, start off the, as they would the call pod. it banter. That, that banter. was such good banter, Mom. Yeah. But uh, this is episode forty. Everyone is back. The boys are back. Are back. No more of those late night calls over FaceTime. What we had to do in Europe. Those were a couple of tough episodes to get in, I will Sh- say. Sharing a beard. Like <laughs> Harry Styles, man. New Harry Styles album. Late night talking. Just late night talking for me and George. Um, wait, can I just ask you, do you like that album? There's like three songs. Okay. It's disappointing because I feel like the Fine Line album was so good. And yeah. it was, it's been good for years. Like, do you know what I mean? You could keep listening to it for years. Whereas this album, it seems a bit boring, to be honest. But I do like a couple of songs, I have to admit. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to listen to it, but I haven't heard people talking about it like I thought it would because I feel like Harry Styles is so damn popular now. But it is, it's yeah. more just because he's Harry Styles. It's not like because of the new album. But uh, that's a random aside. Today we have Joe Klecker back on the show. Number two. Yeah. When? How? It must have been so long ago that you were on. Because yeah, it was, it was in Florida, Florida like uh, like first week back running. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like a lifetime ago, but yeah, it feels good to have him back because we've obviously wanted to get him on for a very long time. He's obviously been crushing it this season, and he just gets back from racing Europe as well. So we're going to talk about all that stuff. But, yeah, I think uh, we just jump back into it with a little recap of kind of what everyone's been up to. Me, nothing. Very boring here in Boulder, holding down the fort. But all these boys were racing over in Europe in the Diamond League, so I think we do a little rundown of that. Um, First off, I guess we'll go with George, who raced in Paris on... It was last Saturday, right? Yeah, Saturday. Yeah, and that was, I got to say, obviously, it was, it's a Diamond League, and it's sweet, but once we saw the weather report for that race, we knew it was going to be tough, because there was these heat warnings, and I think it was about, it was like over 30 degrees Celsius, 90 degrees Fahrenheit, so we knew it was going to be tough, because the 5K is one of those events where it's already just so painful, and so if you bring in heat, all those types of factors, it makes it really hard and obviously you wanted to run a quick time i we will you know i don't know i guess george knows that he he likes to compete but if you're doing it competing over the quick times i was sure. i was thinking about that actually after that i was like damn i've said so much about not caring about running fast yeah that like how am i going to bring this back up i think it's more like <laughs> racing's the priority but if i also end up running fast then that's cool you know yeah like if the if the product of like trying to race and trying to beat people and then you also end up running fast that would be sweet yeah, it's a nice like, little cherry on top. Yeah, that would have been nice to come sixth and also run 30 nose. <laughs> yeah, because that is the thing. If you come sixth in a Diamond League, you're hoping that's a low 13. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you I know? mean, sixth in Oslo was 13 06. <laughs> yeah, so that's what you're hoping for. But if you, you end up running 13 19, which obviously in those conditions we all know was really impressive because i mean it's hard to put a pure time conversion on it but you can think that that would be i don't know 10 seconds more maybe even so who knows it's probably pretty individual yeah but yeah 
honestly Paris sucked I hate, to, I hate to say it just the whole trip the whole trip no oh, sorry <laughs> no she mostly I mean it was just 100 over 100 degrees both days I was there so like 30 it was 36 degrees Celsius first day 38 degrees the day I raced and like you can't even you can't go outside during the day and do anything you just have to like hole up in a European room which has just like barely functioning AC <laughs> because apparently they don't care about AC in Europe like and it just freaking what these guys was like 60 degrees in Oslo yeah beautiful after coming from Sam Moritz too where we just had like the freaking best time it was yeah. beautiful every day and then it was like poor air quality and just insanely hot yeah in Paris those those cities are not made for the heat there's a reason yeah. in a city like paris everyone leaves it for a month during the summer when it actually is really hot it's just because yeah they're not designed for the heat so they just yeah that's that sucks <laughs> yeah i mean I, I was obviously happy to get into a race because i was definitely looking back like i was locked into going to europe without really knowing if i was going to race or not like i was confident that i was going to get into something and ideally it was going to be Oslo and ended up being Paris which was still a good option and obviously the field was really good just the um, conditions meant that it freaking sucked Yeah. I, and I was thinking about afterwards like if you look at a forecast before you're trying to run a fast 5k I don't know what the ideal temperature is but it's got to be pretty cold like probably in low the 60s six, low 60s like if you see like 73 you're like damn that's like that's pretty warm I mean it's probably doable but I'd rather it was a little colder. You see 83, you're like, holy shit, that's going to be super uncomfortable. That's hot as hell. And at 93, that's just getting outrageous. Like, yeah. it's got to be 30, 35 degrees hotter than you would think you could run your fastest. Mm-hmm. It was brutal. Yeah. Um, and I was definitely one of the, the bigger guys in the field. And there's some science about... I think the, the theory is if you... Like the more muscle mass you have, like a byproduct of work, working your muscles is heat. So the more muscle you have, the more heat you produce. So I think that's generally why bigger guys struggle in the heat. You're a big boy. Um, that's why you got to just live in a sauna and then yeah. you know, your body learns how to deal with it. <laughs> Dude, we all are all kind of big guys. Rel- relative, relative, relative to, to the, oh, the yeah, guys. Oh, yeah, probably not even 100 pounds. I mean, <laughs> I, 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 probably, I was thinking I probably had 50 pounds on Brega yeah. easily. That that's, dude was yeah. warming up in full sweats. I don't think he even noticed the heat. I was like, they had one of those mistine, big mistine gun machine things. And I started the warm up, like fully drenching my shirt and my hat. And like, and then by the time, by the time I'd run a mile, like my shirt was almost dry. So it actually, it wasn't super humid, but it was just so hot Dude, by well, that what, point. They had the that, water table during your race too. <laughs> yeah, they did. Okay, it was like 3K in and I think it was Idris Mukhtar, right? Yeah. He yeah. literally tried to grab water running like 60 seconds a lap. Didn't, he didn't get yeah. the water. Just Wait, dude, I tried to grab one. Yeah, I was like. I, I saw Jimmy. <laughs> Gracia grabbed one in front of me. I was like, and then I was like, damn, that's, that's probably a good idea. Like, I'm dying. Yeah. And then next lap, 
I go and grab one and, and just completely miss it. Yeah, I don't no, think no, anyone. No, no, I mean, how can you, you're going like 14 miles an hour and it's just state. There's no way you can grab that. You got to somehow yell at them in French, just throw the water at me. That's yeah. what I was <laughs> thinking. Like, I just yeah, want like, them to like, throw like it on me. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was the thing. Pull the, you just put the tape, you just use your hand and just swipe it at you. Yeah, or you do like that guy in the Olympics and just knock them all over. <laughs> the whole table. <laughs> just sabotage That was a French else. guy, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a French that guy. That was a French guy, yeah. Um, on on the start line, that's what I was thinking, like because it wasn't humid and I was still like had my singlet drenched. I actually for a minute I was thinking like maybe it's actually going to be alright. <laughs> like maybe this is still going to be fast because without that humidity, like before you start going, doesn't feel super bad. Was the sun down too? I mean, like with the sun's not beating on the track, <laughs> yeah. that definitely helps a little bit. Bill, yeah, it was. It was we raced like ten thirty. Okay. There was definitely like the track was still just like pouring heat and yeah. the concrete as well. Um, but then at some point, like 93 degrees is, is 93 degrees, no matter what. And so after probably seeing like seven laps to go, maybe, maybe six laps to go, like I was, I was hurting freaking bad and it felt like my skin was just like burning. And yeah, those were, that was probably easily the hardest track race I've ever run in terms of just how uncomfortable it was. I guess I believe it's that. just impossible to like relax or get in a rhythm when you just like miserably hot yeah but definitely still felt like sixth was a good result like before the race I was thinking on a good day I thought top five would be would be a good result like that that was kind of where I was aiming for and ideally that would also be fast but <laughs> not not when it's that hot but mm-hmm. but six was solid. Um, yeah, I'll take six. Yeah, I'll take six in a diamond league. Six in a diamond league, man. Yeah, pretty freaking impressive. Did you have a good textbook, George? Kick down at the end. Um. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah he yeah, shot onto my screen. I was like, "Where's George?" And then all of a sudden, he just <laughs> shoots onto my television screen. So. I think I was ninth, maybe tenth of the bell. Oh wow. Um. And I was talking to Mike. Uh, Foppen after the race and before the race actually future they they would they like they want to be on the pod no Jimmy way. and Jimmy and Mike shout Although, out to Mike Foppen coffee club Europe yeah <laughs> <laughs> we're expanding coffee, we're expanding <laughs> coffee um, club Boulder <laughs> coffee club Boulder coffee club uh, yeah apparently someone had yeah. warned him before the race to look over his shoulder with 100 meters to go because I might be <laughs> coming up on him and I passed him with like 90 meters to go love to see so, that sorry Mike hell yeah no but I just got textbook George. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the George show. No, I mean it's definitely so hard to race in those conditions, but you did great and hopefully I'm gonna say hopefully Eugene is not as hot. I mean you never know. These days Eugene gets pretty hot and it gets pretty wild out there and that can suck, but hopefully that's cooler because then yeah, if I feel like I've had that before where you have one of those races in the season and then the rest of the races relatively feel I'm not going to say they feel easier, you know, but it's not as bad of a discomfort. So hopefully that's your experience this year. But yeah, so while George was in Paris, a couple of days before that was the big Oslo Diamond League. I guess it's technically called the Oslo Bislet Games. Mm-hmm. What's Bislet? So, I mean, it's the stadium. It's, no, it's, it's Bislet Stadium, right? It's yeah, a, yeah, it's Bislet yeah. Stadium. But I think someone messaged me and they said, oh, like Bislet is so amazing. And then I'm like, you mean like the stadium, the meet? And so I looked it up and I think it's the neighborhood is called Bislet. Okay. Yeah. So it's after like a general um, Norwegian 
soldier who and there's like this strawberry kind of festival thing that they do for Bizlet games joe and i weren't invited but um, <laughs> yeah it, it like it was really cool it was in a beautiful room and they had all these beautiful photos like diamond league and what up super historic posted. meet yeah. like you could just tell there's like so much history and they've done that for like every year they have like these strawberries it's like a big thing yeah um, for them and joe and i found out the last minute on social media that <laughs> it was going on so we didn't get the invite we weren't exclusive enough um but <laughs> Yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. They, they're really good heritage there, and it's a pretty cool meet to be a part of. So yeah. I'm really excited for it. I'm going to say everything about your trip to Oslo comparing it to Paris. Like, Oslo just looked, that did look amazing. You guys walking around the city, going to the coffee shop that you went to, which I'm sure you'll talk about, and then the hotel, and then you go to the stadium. Just even watching on TV, you could tell that the vibe in the stadium was absolutely amazing. Fully packed, people going crazy for the distance races, it was like Paris. I was watching Paris. I was like, man, that, that looks kind of sad in there. Unless you were Jimmy. Yeah. <laughs> Jimmy was a freaking celebrity in there. Everyone was going wild for him. But everyone was too hot. <laughs> yeah, which makes sense. But yeah, so how was the whole Oslo trip? It was pretty sweet. Like once we got in, like just we, I'd never been to Norway. I don't think any of us had been to Norway. Dathan, no. myself, Alicia or Ollie. Uh, even Jordan Donnelly, who was there with us. And so, like, it was just really cool seeing that country. Like, the first thing we noticed owning Teslas was, like, every car there is electric. And we're like, oh, this is pretty cool. Like, I wonder why that is. And so that was, like, very cool, like, just the city. Um, mm -hmm. And then just, yeah, like, we got great coffee. The hotel was, like, probably one of the nicest hotels I've ever stayed at in my life. And so right away when we got there, everything was just, like, super fancy and posh and you know huge salmon dinners and just like, stereotypical just yeah like it was it was pretty crazy and like yeah we went to cool, to cool down or uh did a shakeout run when we got in along the water and there's just these like houseboats with saunas and i was like man if i was here a day earlier like i would be in those saunas right now yeah. uh just like literally on the fjord people jumping in the water crawling out getting in the sauna yeah and i was like wow this is pretty amazing um so yeah like other than the race or anything just being in the city was great in oslo it was super super good vibe mm -hmm. ollie what was it like for you to walk around the city and just see your your competitor up on every single billboard <laughs> it was interesting <laughs> the Jakob show. i mean i thought it was super cool because um i mean f for one i was noticing when i was walking around everyone's like freaking six foot five like the average height in norway for i think women is like five nine or five ten or something crazy like that giants and then yeah they're all vikings and uh anyway we're, we're walking through like there's this posters billboards bus stops all the ingerbrison guys mercedes ads vitamin water ads it's just like they're they're literally celebrities they're literally like what you'd see lebron james on the boards in california or you know you'd see the nuggets like everywhere around here um yeah. It's just crazy, and, well, you, I, and it's really cool for the sport. Sure. You asked Jakob if he could even leave the hotel, and he said no. No, yeah, Jakob was uh, hanging out at the uh, the gym. We were doing our shakeout before the race, and he was actually very friendly. Had a good chat with Dathan. Asked Dathan a couple of questions, like uh, why'd you choose on, and he was just interested in what, what we're doing leading into World Champs. But I asked him some general questions, like can you leave the hotel? And he's like, no, no, I got to go downstairs in the garage, get into a private car, and if I need to go anywhere, like I have to have like people around me because he just can't go anywhere like he's, it's not just him as well his brothers too so it's just a crazy uh experience to see that because track and field for us really don't have that kind of celebrity status but he does like he's he's one of the best known people in in norway probably as, as, as an athlete um so that was really cool to see it was a bit intimidating i have to admit because We'll get into it, but like, it's like, yeah, 17,000 people. I think Jakob said they were selling standing tickets as well. 
and they said uh, fifteen thousand, and then two thousand standing tickets. Yeah. And I think even still, like it was sold out, and they could have sold more. They could have sold more. Yeah, it was it was crazy. And like I remember going out. I think for the five k two with Heinrich and Philip, going out with those guys there. Like the cra- the, the crowd went nuts, like crazy. Really? Yeah, I've like so we we were running out onto like the it. track, and I was like the first one out on the track, and I was like, wow, this is like a ton of ton of people, and I'm like doing a stride. And I'd hear the crowd like erupt. And I thought like, you know, maybe like Mondo like jumped over the bar or something. And no, it was just Philip and Heinrich came out from underneath the stadium. <laughs> I was like, this is insane. Like they literally are cheering like someone just set a world record just because they walked on the stadium. And like they were like getting photos with fans before the race. Like people wanted autographs. Like literally the race is about to go off in like two, three minutes. And people are running down to be right on the rail to give them high fives. And ultimately, like I don't think Heinrich had a great race and Philip DNF, but they're just like celebrities and people just like, it makes sense they wanted to do the Bizlet games, even if they weren't 100% fit and ready, just because Norway, like those fans literally, 17,000 people there wanted just to see them, you know, just to run on home soil. Yeah. It's like, that makes me feel like, I mean, that's kind of what it must, that's a tiny taste of what it's like to be a pro athlete in a different sport. Think about if you're an NBA player, how, you know, they do the, the thing at the start of the game or before the game when they read out every single player's names and everyone in the stands goes absolutely crazy. Like, they get that every night when they go out and play. But as a track athlete, you definitely don't expect it. So when you do get to feel it, you're like, holy shit, this is amazing. The closest thing in the States is probably, like, a Oregon Duck competing at Hayward. Yeah. I would say that's that's a good yeah. example. That like, would, yeah. it, strategically, in, in the mile, we went out and we had a whole lap before we got to yeah. the start line. And Jakob... Wait, really? Yeah, Jakob they, they, was they, had, they had to be on the track like yep. 10 or 15 minutes before the race, and every other race was like five minutes. We had 10 minutes, <laughs> and Jakob literally was about to walk out the corner door. He looks, around, looks behind us and just goes like this, waves at us to come to him. He goes out first. The crowd just loses it. All these young kids with Norwegian flags just come straight down on the outside, and then he's just going along, and I give him a lot of credit for this because this is before a big race, right? He's like trying to set the European record. He takes his time. He goes around. He high-fives all these kids waves you know just does he's you know he's just doing what you would usually do after a race he was doing it before the race even started the whole lap around while everyone else is walking out me and wiping and looking at each other giggling and shit like it's like what the fuck is is going on like it was crazy because it's just like olympic champ competing in his home country for a country that's also relatively small the amount of um reception that he got is just like it's cool like they, they, they they give a shit which I really respected and valued, and I thought the energy there was just fantastic. That's definitely good for the sport. Hashtag good for the yeah. sport, baby. I mean, even like like Joe said, Harvick and Philip, like just the, the the reaction you get, like you'd hope now that Joe going into a USA um, meet or like a pre Prefontaine Classic that he, the same reception could come. Yeah. If you get that profile, that's what you hope. Um, but it's just somehow like you just I don't know how you would be able to change that in the US because Europe. It seems like that's been there for a while. Like when you have those superstars, you know, like Mondo in Sweden. Yeah. Like nuts. Yeah. That, nuts. That's what you want to create because that, those are the stuff that like just makes the sport feel so special. I got to, I got a little taste of it at my first World Champs in 2017. I was in Mo Farah's heat and it was in the Olympic Stadium in London. Dude, it was, it was like just the whole race was like the loudest thing ever. And it, as a competitor, it definitely makes it feel extremely different when you're running all out and then like you just just blaring in your ears you can't hear anything it's like it's amazing it, it makes it, it makes for moments that you know you never you know get again it's but you go so to special. london and his face is up in the airport still yeah. you know? like, <laughs> it's like yeah. i think that's why they get that status is 
those countries really promote them, you know. Well, what do we got coming up here? We got Olympics in LA, right, in 28. So we will see Joe Klecker on every billboard, and there's the next, <laughs> the next one. Every airport, every billboard. Is <laughs> the next one in Australia after that? Yeah. yeah. So you know, we gotta we gotta take our opportunities. We gotta take our chances and make it happen for us, I guess. Instead of Mercedes ads, we'll be on Tesla billboards. Tesla billboards, <laughs> yeah. Elon will be shaking hands with you before mm-hmm. the race. Yeah. Dude, that'd be sick. But so Oslo was amazing, and you guys went to what was the name of the coffee shop? Tim Wimbledon. Tim Wendelbo. So we posted that we were in Norway, nothing about coffee, and I had like maybe four or five people individually message me and say like, you have to go to this spot. And initially like it was a mile and a half or two miles away, and so we were like, oh, like probably not worth it. <laughs> but since I had so many people message me, we decided to get the scooters, and we scootered over there, which like we had to like literally go on like a highway. Like <laughs> we were definitely in areas where the scooters were not meant to go. Not to permitted, get, yeah. Not permitted to get to this coffee shop. Um, but it was definitely worth it, and we hung out there like for a long time. Probably spent hundreds of dollars. It was on- sick. <laughs> it was so sick. It was a cool coffee shop a bit yeah. too. What? It's so famous because of one of their baristas, or is yeah, it just the coffee? I, in I think the guy who like started it is like maybe a. He's a barista what, champion. Or world like, barista champion. Yeah, or something. So like, multiple years. So too. and then I think after he won the like barista champion, like yeah, he hard. started his own shop, and the, the shop is like famous because of like just he sources all the coffee like maybe he trains the baristas and stuff and it was really cool the coolest thing about it was there was a line of like 20 people and there's one barista and she just like made each coffee individually and like she'd not care there's 20 people in line like she was going to take her time and make like the perfect coffee for every person which is really cool yeah you really have cool. to and, and, the, and the one thing as well is i feel like joe and i noticed when we first went there is like usually some coffee shops like that very high-end ones they're kind of snobby kind of dicky kind of like oh we're, we're, we're more you know superior than you blah 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 like you gotta wait your turn but the, they were really nice really really nice people and uh you didn't even know it was it, you could hardly no. tell it was a coffee shop it was literally like off the beaten track on this corner like spot like with a small little sign yeah it's kind of cool like really you had cool. you had to know where you were going to get there you wouldn't just stumble upon it like people people went in there f- knowing like what they're gonna get which was pretty sick and uh we took Jordan Donnelly and Ritz. <laughs> Ritz, <laughs> Ritz, a guy that doesn't really give a shit about coffee, starting to kind of convert to our ways a little bit. But they came with us the second time, and Joe and I, we would get like a mug and some beans, and beans are already gone on our house. Yeah. We already had them, but uh, it was a really cool, really cool place. Yeah, well, that's awesome. I'm very jealous that you guys got to do that. But moving on to the races, I guess we'll go with your race first, Joe, in the 5K. Well, even taking a step back, this was your first race in Europe, right? Yeah, it was my first time traveling to Europe, too. So it was a whole crazy experience. I heard in the first few days you got there, you felt pretty terrible. Is that correct? Yeah, so similar to Tokyo, <laughs> like, I've only done two international flights in my life, and that was Tokyo and now to uh, Switzerland. Uh, and both times, it's, like, hit me pretty hard. Like, I need to learn how to get my body to come around after these flights because I was seriously like questioning whether I'd even be able to race like, <laughs> my like I mean I'm I was the same to... way just so you know Ollie Ollie is I think Ollie sets a bad example for everyone because he's so amazing at it but yeah, dude, I'm like you yeah but like we're doing like a long run and I'm just like literally like silent like legs hurt so bad <laughs> and I'm just like yeah and then like Ollie is like just fine I think Jordy was feeling probably a bit better but I'm just like I was like, yeah, in my head, I'm like, how is Ollie just like travel like 20 hours or whatever and just like do these long runs, feel fine. And so, but yeah, no. So like the first week in Switzerland is just like miserable. Like I'm every day just like suffering, like my legs hurt really bad. <laughs> but then we, I, 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 I finally decided to text Jason, our, our massage guy back in Michigan. And he sent me like one exercise to do. And instantly I felt like back to 
back to normal. And then me and Joy got up the next day and had like pr- pretty insane track session mm. up at S- the St. Moritz track. That was a sick workout too. Yeah, we were like really feeling good. And that was our first day in the, the second iteration of our spikes. And so it was just like all around like great vibes. Mm. Like after the workout, we sat outside in the sun for probably two hours eating pizza. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> probably didn't recover very well <laughs> that day, but uh, it was a pretty good vibe. But yeah, into the race, you know, then after about a week, it was nice that we were there so far before the race because it gave me time for my body to come around. And eventually it did. Once we got to Oslo, I felt I really did feel pretty good. And um, the compartment syndrome was the compartment syndrome was down. settled. Yeah, I was like, I was honestly like thinking like I need surgery. Like my legs, like <laughs> something's surgery. wrong. Like, like it always is in the back of my head. Like Dathan had all these surgeries when he was running. And I was like, when are, when are my surgeries going to happen? Yeah, when they gonna <laughs> run, right? I was like, well, this is it. Wait, but, I, need uh, a, I need to ask you, what was the exercise he gave you? I'm sure people are wondering. Yeah, it was, it was some like, it was really weird. Like with a voodoo floss band, it was basically like mobilizing my fibular head. And oh. so like I have very, pretty tight ankles. And so... Um, that often like makes my Achilles pretty sore, but then like as soon as I mobilize my ankles, like the Achilles just doesn't hurt at all. So like my Achilles are fine, but like yeah, so I had to mobilize the fibular head, and then uh, everything was good like instantly. Like literally, I went for a run that afternoon with Ollie, and we were or like doubled that evening or something, and we ran like pretty quick, and yeah, it was good. It was desperate times. Desperate <laughs> times, yeah. But it's just crazy. Like Jason, like in Michigan from across the world, like oh yeah, yeah, just do this, and like you should be good. I'm like okay. That's like the best thing ever. It definitely is not always like that, but when you do have an issue and then someone gives you an exercise and it fixes it straight away. Yeah, oh, because I was like trying to get treatment in St. Moritz and you don't know who the therapists are and it's it's very, like you're just like, you know, the, the therapy office is like almost a mile away. So I'm like walking across town. I'm like, is this like worth it to like do all this walking? Like my legs hurt so bad already. Like, is it going to be any mean, like help? You mean uh, Reinhardt didn't, didn't help you with compartment <laughs> yeah, syndrome? Yeah, European massage is definitely a bit different. I was... Uh, Full, full moon on the table. I mean, yeah. I've never had that before. It was so funny. What about the sauna? You went to take the sauna. Oh yeah, yeah. So I found a sauna and uh, in Saint Moritz, and I was super excited. And then I was going to go in it, and one that they, I thought it was included in like our elite athlete membership to the gym we were using, but she said no, like that'll be thirty Swiss francs. And I was like, all right, whatever. Like I need to go in the sauna. Like I really want to. And I went up there and I'm wearing like my shorts. Like I had just finished, I think a pool workout or a, a, a double or something. And I was walking into the sauna and they, they literally stopped me and said, no, 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 you, you have to be naked. <laughs> Take those pants and I was off. Like, I was like, what kind of, what do you mean? Like I have to be naked? I, I literally have to be naked. And yeah, so like I had, I wore a towel, but like, yeah, people are definitely, it's definitely a little bit different in Europe. Like people just, co-ed just, sauna. Co-ed, yeah, co-ed, it was co-ed naked too. sauna. Co-ed naked sauna. And yeah, so I didn't go back. Not for the, <laughs> not, not for the naked reason, mostly for the 30 Swiss francs. Like, yeah, that's a lot to pay for. Yeah, like when I can here just go down in my basement for free and wear my running shorts. Only, only yeah. 30 Swiss francs. Only 30 Swiss francs, yeah. Wait, so you don't go naked in your sauna now? You haven't been converted? I'm surprised you don't. <laughs> no, nah, I haven't been converted because I normally go in right after I run. And so like I just, I just jump in. But, yeah. but now on to the race. Yeah. yeah so like... We had a couple, like, we had that really good workout in, in San Moritz, and that, like, was giving me a lot of confidence. And looking at the field, I knew it was going to be a good race. Like, there were some of the top Ethiopians who had already been selected for their national team. Um, like, Wale has run 724 for 3,000. And so I was really excited to just compete. I think that, like, Jordy, um, I've kind of adapted his mindset a little bit where, like, just going after a time sometimes isn't always, like, I don't always, like, perform well when I'm just looking at the clock every lap. Like, so more so I'm like just focusing on like my positioning and stuff in my race we had pace lights at 13 minutes and I was saying how like 
it actually just kind of like stressed me out like seeing those pace lights get away and then kind of seeing them come back it's just like another factor that you don't want to think about you're trying to think about racing the people in your race um but yeah so going into the race i really um the main goal of it was just to like get some more experience racing some of the top competition in the world i mean like racing these top athletes it's definitely like i think having experience is super important so i just wanted to put myself up in the race early and just give myself the best shot to win the race um and i ended up finishing fourth i was in third until maybe like 50 meters to go and looking back at the race like i really think i could have like done more to finish higher up i got boxed in a bit at points but again that's like why i went to do this race was to like make some of these errors and um like hopefully fix them for the world championships because i think on this team like everything is like geared towards the world championships everything is preparing us to do the best we can there and so i think that for me personally going to race some international competition was super important um just to like learn that and as far as the time i ran 1304 again like i did earlier in the season but i think the difference with this 1304 was it was like in a sense like a tactical race um like in the middle of the race we were running like 65 64 second laps which is like pretty slow um what'd you guys come through 3k i think we came through like 755 it was actually similar <laughs> to what we came through in uh at sound running when mm -hmm. i ran 1304 but the difference with sound running was it was just like this very like good progression where we just kind of like picked it up every lap to the finish and this race was much more like jockeying and slowing down and like at one point i remember it was like really slowing down and then jack rayner like sprinted to the front and like kept it moving which was like pretty impressive um he ran a huge pr but like his race was like he definitely helped that race from slowing down even more than it did um but yeah so it was like a, a good to like run kind of a tactical in a sense 1304 um it gives me a lot of confidence to like hopefully be able to break 13 because that's like like you know the times are one thing but like to break those barriers is definitely still important like ollie breaking 350 is like a huge barrier that you're excited about and so breaking 13 is something i'm excited about um which i thought would happen in oslo but yeah it just we it slowed up a little bit too much in the middle and um i cared more about placing well in the race than you know being dead set on breaking 13 that day mm -hmm. um but yeah to finish third or fourth in that race amongst some of those top Ethiopian runners and some of the top Spanish runners and Australian runners was like a really good confidence booster going into world champs and now we'll just like come back here and like get in some really hard training and I'm I, in my mind that's like the I this is my ideal build up to yeah. uh Eugene yeah. yeah if you if you just continue to finish fourth in big diamond leagues like that like one of them is gonna go sub 13 like that just happens yeah like you put yourself in it to win like you did you're the move like everyone mm. thought the same thing at like 200 when you passed those two guys it looked like you were about to win like Dude, it like, looked like you were catching those guys so, so it I was insane so i, I was pretty like i was pretty like uh <clears throat> i didn't remember much of the race but someone was like yeah like i thought you were gonna win i'm like really like in my mind it was such a blur like i thought the winners could have been like 1258 like i didn't know how close they really mm. were um but yeah i saw that like when i rewatched the race and saw like my burst of speed with 150 to go i was like man if i would have kept that up like <laughs> i would have won the race you it was like going. A, we a, thought that's what's gonna happen a 20 or 30 meter streak yeah. where you uh, were flying I, yeah. I, st I was cool i was warming up and getting ready like drill some strides before um my race and i was seeing on the tv and i had to stop my like my warm-up because i was like holy shit joe's gonna win this race because your acceleration just around the bend like you were just passing people really easily i was like damn 
but like that's like one thing that you've yeah take experience from is you being able to like oh i can cl- like i can close i can back myself in that type of situation so. yeah so yeah definitely like looking back at that race yeah. just seeing like i was going fast enough i just could have like held it to like for sure be second and maybe yeah. take a stab at first so like yeah it's like again that experience is just so important to like you can do hard workouts but to actually like go in a race and like do some things that you've never done before like that um it gives you a lot of confidence definitely does yeah yeah it was i mean it was sweet to see that and i think yeah in terms of as you said your progression to world champs like that's just ticking all the boxes like momentum definitely going in the right direction and it is pretty cool you can say oh well i guess you just scratch from u.s champs but you do have the two fastest 5k times in the u.s which is no small feat i mean Mm -hmm. there's a lot of amazing runners out there um do you want to tell i'm sure everyone wants to know like why you scratch from the 5k yeah well like for one i was saying when i traveled to europe it took me a long time to recover on the same way flying back like the first few days certainly have been like have not felt great um like running and just like getting my body back um not as bad as traveling to switzerland i've definitely (laughs) learned i've definitely learned i'm definitely learning like how to how to uh get recovered but I, i do think i could be ready to go for sunday but then you race Sunday, then it's another like five to seven days where you have to recover. Like, I think that I'm more interested in like giving myself the best shot to do well in one event than like trying to run two events at Worlds just because you can. Like Dathan said it best. He's like, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. And I think the U.S. is so deep that like, why, why would I like give this just heroic effort to try and make the 5K team? to take a spot from someone who maybe they're just going to do the 5k, um, who might do better. Like, I don't know if I could come back after a really hard 10k and run two 5ks and try and give myself a shot to medal. Mm-hmm. Like, so I, I, versus doing two races mediocre, like I'd rather just put everything on one race. I mean, that's kind of how Dathan's approach has always been to like, yeah, doubling at the world champs. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's very rare that someone does it really well other than like the metal contenders. That's exactly what I think it's like a great mindset. And that's kind of what we've been talking about where it's like, yeah, obviously you would love to be a superstar and when you're doing the 10K, 5K double, but you kind of have to, you have to work up to that. Mm-hmm. So obviously that's the dream for, you know, all of us is to do those events. But for now, yeah, you really want to just give yourself the best chance to have the most success and that's doing one event and yeah. focusing on and putting everything well, into it. Well, I think an interesting, like another thing about that is not, not saying I would be like a shoe in to make the five K team. It's an incredibly hard team to make, but say I did make it and I knocked someone off the team. Like I look at when Paul Chalimo got a silver medal, I think in Rio, he finished third at the Olympic trials. He out leaned Eric Jenkins for fourth. Like he barely made that team. And then he goes and gets silver at the Olympics. It's like, what if, I put in this heroic effort to make the team and then I knock someone off who might be like getting a medal because yeah. I won't be totally fresh. You know, now I could be fresh at the championships, but in Eugene, I'll be coming a few days off of a, a 10 K. Mm-hmm. And so I think not just for myself, but also as like USATF, I think that this is the best thing for us to do well in the distance events across the board. I mean, Ethiopia, for instance, sorry, they, none of their top athletes, at least men, I think are doubling. Like, yeah. Aragawi's running one event. Yeah. Like, and you think Aragawi's probably one of the best runners in both events. Why is he just doing one? I'm sure, like, Ethiopia just wants Tim to be totally dialed in on one event to do the best he can. I almost think track and field should go, like, one step further and make it more difficult to double. I think they should just compress Worlds into, like, less days and make each day 
a bit more exciting, a yeah. few more events, instead of dragging out 10 days, giving people the opportunity to, to do two. Like, if someone goes out and medals in one of those, like, why does he not need a double? No one's going to be like, oh, he only medaled in one event. Like, yeah. what? No. Yeah. <laughs> he only medaled in yeah, the 5K. Yeah, unless like, you know, no most, one thinks that. Like, it's going to be amazing no matter what. I mean, like, who's doubled in the 5K and 10K over the last couple of Olympics? Like, it's very rare that someone. Yeah, you say Mo Farah. Yeah, like Mo Farah. I mean, like, Probably I, Bikali and Bikali, Bikali, Yeah, but it's just I mean, like, they did used to do it all yeah, the time. But it's like, if you could do one well, you know, I think that's just so much more important than doing two. Yeah. Or doing one well and then coming back just because you can. Just yeah, I mean, I think from our perspective, I don't necessarily agree with what you're saying, George, because I think if you're that good to win a gold in both, like, I think I think winning, I don't think anyone says, like, you only won one gold, but I think it's just so amazing if someone wins two golds, so. It's so rare that someone can win two, like, yeah. two yeah. golds, you know. Like, is, is Jakob doubling? I think he's just doing the 15. Just the 15? I, I don't think he has the 5K standard. I think he does he, have the 5K. Well, standard. he just no, got he it. ran it before. No, uh, he just got it. He sound. ran it sound. Oh right, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 He he wants to run. From what, when I talked to him about it, he wants to be able to run the 15, definitely 1500 world, uh, world champs. Europeans though. <laughs> For the Europeans, he said he. He said to he wanted to run. Like he was even considering running the 800. He, well, well, after I after think, his big 147 performance. No, I mean, no, like, he, he joking. Well, I think he would do it, but he jokingly said that he wants to run the 800, 1500, steeple, 5K, 10K. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Europeans. And the yeah, Europeans. Yeah, I do it like that true. they, like, go hard for Europeans. It like, is it's yeah. very serious, very serious. It makes me jealous as, like, an American athlete that we don't have that, like, secondary championship that's on the same level as, like, Commonwealth or Europeans. Mm. Yeah, pretty cool events. They're, they're very, it's a very cool thing, Europeans, and it's in Munich this year, and I think for Jakob, he'll do, he'll, he's 100% doing the 1500. I don't know if he's doubling doing the 5K. I'm sure he will because he's he's already a double gold in both of them at European. Oh, are you talking about world champs? I'm talking about world champs. Oh, yeah. Europeans, he's he's probably doing both. Yeah. I don't really know what this the schedule is, but see, I could see from World Athletics perspective why they would want to create a schedule that allows him to double. Because it's you know more exciting. I mean? He sells tickets. Yeah. He sells yeah. tickets. Yeah. It's true. Like, it is kind of it is if you can make it happen, it 100%. is cool. Or like say if they could make a schedule where a thing. Mo, I think Mo can do the 800, 400 double. Yeah, that would be cool if they could do that. It just get, yeah, it gets more more seats and butts. <laughs> <laughs> gets more seats and butts. More right? seats and butts. Seats on butts. <laughs> no, more seats and butts. Yeah, it, it, it's like that's what they want to do. They want to sell tickets and get people excited about stuff like that. That yeah, that's what's gonna do. Like Jakob, yeah, it creates stars. Yeah, you know? you that's know, what Jakob's it's about. gonna be Story going lines. double. I think Mo goes double. You it know, was like Safan Hassan last yeah. year going for all the gold. Triple. It was like, <laughs> like that was cool. hasn't raised since. <laughs> hasn't raised since. He's probably yeah. broken from that. Yeah, probably like messed her up a little bit, but like, <laughs> but it's worth it. <laughs> but the thing was, like, when she was trying to get all the golds, it was like you didn't care about the one race. Like you just cared about that she still had the chance to do like the trifecta. Mm. Yeah. I mean, like you kind of overlooked that. Oh, she just won gold, or oh, she just yeah. like oh, is she, she going to get the next one now? She looked a little tired or something. Something. yeah that was crazy but i think i mean we i was gonna move on to your race early, but i feel like we like we talked about joe's whole season we should probably talk about the 10k now because yeah, that's that oh was, yeah we we did want to have joe on right after that but then just the scheduling was too hard but i mean that was it was pretty cool this year that the 10k was its own thing so it made you know all the hype about it it was all just about the 10k the night before prefontaine and it was amazing obviously the best it is the best like U.S. 10K field ever. Like that's not even a question. Like you have Grant Fisher running American record, like American yeah. record, and then you know that all his Bowman teammates are they they all have they haven't run sub 27, but you know they probably could. Yeah. It's just the standard is so high. The amount of people with the standard is mm-hmm. probably 
I don't know if it's more than ever before, but the standard is way harder than it's ever been as well. So that was a crazy race. And what was very cool about you, Joe, is you've definitely, as you were even talking about before, like did you've really made the 10K like your event. You haven't, um, like that's everything about the year was pretty much going towards competing at world champs in the 10k and so a big part of that is making sure that you can go to the u.s 10k champs and crush it and last time we had you on yeah that was right after you had suffered an injury at the end of december start of january and you were working back into things and so it meant that you couldn't race indoors you couldn't race nearly as much as you thought you were going to race early in your at one point but it didn't obviously in the end it didn't matter uh your build-up was still exactly what it needed to be so it was very cool to just witness like the whole lead up. I was, cause obviously last year I was hearing about the crazy stuff you were doing in training and all that. And this year I got to, <laughs> I got to witness it. I know like a lot of people do crazy stuff in training, but the, the way that Joe is able to get dialed in for, there's certain workouts, you know, which are like, this is my big one before the 10 K and <laughs> the way that you get dialed in for them and crush them was, was so impressive. So I think we all knew that you were going to, because obviously last year you went to the trials and you crushed it and we knew that you were even better this year but still to go and compete against a literal 26 33 runner in grant is i mean that's absolutely ridiculous and then you got the dub so it was very cool to see i mean for you what was the mindset going into it and then throughout the race like how did that kind of play out to the point where with 100 meters to go or maybe even 50 meters to go you, you could just tell like you're like shit i'm about to win this thing yeah so like even back before the race like we heard that the 10k was going to be moved up a month to the pre-classic which i was pretty excited about because i knew it would just put like an extra emphasis on that race because it was the only u.s championship of that weekend during the pre-classic which already has a lot of emphasis on it so the only thing is that took a month away from like preparing for the race coming off an injury so it certainly made things a little more stressful like having to get in shape but uh dathan navigated it super well and it never felt like we were like cramming in fitness it felt very like natural still but yeah then like going into the race um i just come off running 1304 at sound and so i knew i was really fit and workouts had been going better than the year prior but you know the the uh the field was also a lot better more people had the standard grant had run the american record woody had just paced him for like much of that race looking very good and I knew that it was going to take a lot better race than a year ago to win. Like it wasn't going to be closing 54 and like we win by five or like I'm clear of anyone else by five seconds. I knew it was going to be much closer. And so going in, I just expected that. And I just kind of like I did in Oslo, like I've done in a lot of races, like just wanted to be very engaged with the front of the race the whole time. I mean, 10K is a long distance to just be like, like having like a race plan or anything so i think for me as long as i stay engaged with the front of the race and what's going on like i'm i'm very like confident in that um there's a lot of shoving in the race it's pretty slow race so there was just like tons of jockeying for position but i always just like try to let that not affect me as much as i can i'm a, a bigger runner and so i think like when i get pushed around like i don't i do, it doesn't affect me as much um but yeah then Throughout the race, it was just like 9K, a very tactical, like running, some people making moves, just kind of like not giving too much thought to the moves being made, but also at the same time, like respecting it enough to like make sure they don't get too far ahead. Um, 
But then with like a K to go, I think 900 to go, Dathan yelled at me, like, go to the front because I think I was in kind of the outside, just um, kind of waiting for the race to move a little bit. Like we were running really slow. Um, and so I moved to the front. I didn't really think about it. I didn't really plan to move to the front that early. Um, but I just went to the front. I didn't pick it up a ton, but I think my second to last lap might've still been like a 61, which it didn't feel that fast. Like I felt like I was getting clipped at the heels quite a bit. And I think people were really expecting me to like drop the hammer and try and like have this really long drawn out kick, which I just didn't really want to do. I don't think that's like what I needed to do to win the race. Um, so I just kind of like kept running hard, like hard enough to not get my heels clipped, um, but not hard enough to like really like use those last few gears that I had. Um, and I just kept like waiting for someone to pull up on my shoulder. So with like 400 to go, I was really expecting like a big move to be made because I knew like Sean was still there. I knew Grant was still there. I knew like Shadrach and Emmanuel were still there and they all have like amazing closes and they've run really fast this year. So I knew they were like the pace we were running wasn't like tiring them at all. Um, but they didn't go around me. And then with 300 to go, I was really expecting like a big move down the back stretch just because I feel like you see that a lot. It's a common place. You don't have to swing wide on the bend. Um, and again, no one went around me. Yeah, so it wasn't until like 200 to go that I really thought that I could like win the race. Up until then, I was just like trying to make sure I was in that top three spot. But I looked up at the big screen and saw some people like fading off a little bit and seeing that, um, yeah, like I could just run for home then. And so with 200 to go, I figured like, Grant's a very smart racer. Uh, he probably wouldn't like pull around my shoulder on the turn. So I just tried to like maintain a good pace, but like definitely keep a gear for that final straight because I knew that's when he would want to make his move. Um, and I was expecting that like all along, like for someone to pull up on my shoulder, I wasn't like delusional in the sense of like, oh, I'm, I'm just running away from everyone right now. Um, so I, down the home stretch, I just was like waiting and waiting for him to pull up on my shoulder. Um, and once he did, I knew like I just had to match his speed and then have one last final burst. and. Fortunately, it like worked out exactly how I thought it would in my head. Um, and I ended up, you know, obviously winning the race and winning my first U.S. title and qualifying for Eugene. Um, and so all around is just like an incredible performance. I mean, the time was really slow or whatever, but like it meant a lot to win that like U.S. title. Um, and also I'd never beaten Grant in my whole life. And so it's a pretty good race to like do that, like winning a U.S. championship. Um, really good race. <laughs> but yeah, like it was just like really calculated like such a tactical race that it was just like mind games the whole time like thinking like how can I win this race because as far as like pure fitness like no one was being tested it was really just like tactics and using the tools you have to win the race and I think I was able to do that very well and I think looking back Grant would obviously do things a bit differently to to use his you know his strengths to win that race I don't know like what he would do but um so it's kind of like in those races are kind of fun like you look back and there's multiple people who could have won that race if they used their strengths differently um, just because it wasn't like a pure fitness race. Yeah. Hey, let's just, let's just, let's just put this on the table right now. Grant, U.S. titles, zero. Joe Klecker, one. <laughs> Wait, he didn't win either he's, he's the 10K or the 5K? never won a U.S. title. Mm. Did Woody win one. both of them? No, no Woody and Paul. Oh, I forgot about Tolima. So that's the thing, like, I think people could never underestimate how hard it is to win a U.S. title. The 100%. current American record holder in the 10K, has does not <laughs> won a U.S. Dathan's title. Ever, Dathan never won a U.S. title on the track. Dathan never won a U.S. title on the track. It's it, just crazy. And, like, I was talking to Dathan, because when we were there, we were just going off, going nuts. It was crazy. It was, yeah. like, so much, so exciting. Particularly after Alicia's race, where, like, she got sat on by the entire race and then got outkicked the last 100 by Carissa, it was kind of like, well, that sucked. You know, we wanted Alicia to win. Um, but seeing Joe do that to Grant, oh, it was fantastic. 
And I love Grant, but it's just like, it was just good to, to, for a teammate to do that and like win a race like that. It was just so special. And I did it. I think I was talking to Dathan and Ray, like the last time a non-Nike athlete won that race must be like at least 20 years. I'm trying to think. I mean, I kind of think of... I mean, I Galen know. won it for like probably 10 years in yeah, a row. He, yeah. The massive um, who, I know like Lopez has probably won one or, or yeah. Lopez, Lenny maybe. Woody. Lopez, Woody. Woody. I Definitely, can't think of a non-Nike athlete other than you. Like, that's right. so big for on. Like, just massive to be able to achieve something like that. So it was pretty exciting to be a part of and, like, celebrate it uh, while we're there. In Nike's own backyard. In Nike's yeah. own backyard, <laughs> with, baby. With Phil Knight in attendance, yeah. confirmed. I wonder how Phil Knight <laughs> thought about that. Confirmed. I wonder how, yeah. How oh, he didn't your dad talk that? to him in the bar afterwards? Yeah, yeah, yeah. tell us about that story. <laughs> oh, yeah, my, my, my dad was, like, moseying about the, the finish line. Celebrating. Celebrating, you know, probably having a few beers. <laughs> he said, like, some people were buying him beers during the, the race and stuff, so that, that seemed like he was having a good time. But he, like, saw one of his, like, old people he knew from Nike back in the day and, like, asked him, like, hey, like, could I just, like, say, like, a word to Phil? And <laughs> he just went in, like, the Nike box and, like, Talked to Phil for a little bit, uh, like after my race, like after I just won, so that was pretty sweet. Wait, um, what did he? What did he say to him? <laughs> oh, I think I don't, I don't, I don't know what he said, but like he maybe like like back in the day, my mom, I think she was sponsored by Nike for a bit, and like so, definitely have like some Nike roots, I guess, within my family, um, and so, just like connecting with old people and the brand, yeah. I guess. But um, yeah, yeah it would have been funny if that your dad goes yeah can i just have a word with phil knight and then the next day you just got like a million dollar contract <laughs> from nike <laughs> that's kind of I, i'm expecting barney's the best agent of them all yeah yeah barney's the best agent of them all uh, clucker sports, clucker sports. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that'd be pretty good honestly that'd be really cool but yeah oh it was it was so I, cool for you guys i can't even imagine how it was i know on the tv when grant went went just past you for a little bit and then you but then you started catching back up. It's like, holy shit. You looked over. I, I love the look. The look, like the look to the right. <laughs> and then. Yeah. Wait. Yeah. In that moment, I just expected him to make like a more definitive move. Like he, cause yeah, like he went by me, but like you could tell he used everything he had, like just to get in front of me. And I don't think he expected like maybe to be able to fight back. He didn't, ex- didn't expect a retaliation. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think the thing is like, he's not historically known for like, he's been beaten in the last hundred. Yeah, Quite often. Morgan, how did you always used to yeah. beat him? <laughs> Morgan would always beat him in the last 100. Yared would get him in the last 50. Woody would get him at the end. Yeah. Jonah. Like, I mean, well, he's, the, he's yeah. fair as hell, but... The thing that was crazy, because I, I was thinking about, like, wait, so how does Grant win races? And then I was thinking about what he was able to do in those more time trial races was he was able to run... Like, he's lost mile. He's lost 2K yeah. in those races was absolutely ridiculous. You know, like, he would... He it's would, like a big wind up. He would have these massive windups. And he does, he obviously can run a quick 1500. He mm-hmm. can obviously mm-hmm. can close super fast. But yeah, there's definitely something to that where he is, if you're on his shoulder in the last 100, he's definitely beatable. Yeah, it's even like when Woody beat him last year at the Olympic trials. It's just like, you could just see like Woody's foot speed was like ridiculous, you mm-hmm. know? And like, yeah. not that, like, Grant has great foot speed too, but it's like, Again, it's like using your tools that you have to, to, to win the race. And obviously, Woody did that like his, last year. His foot speed was just crazy. That's why I definitely thought Grant was going to go to the front a lot. I thought he was going to go to the front at some point. I thought it was going to mm-hmm. be earlier than even you ended up going to the front. Yeah. Like, I've always told people, like, this race, like, obviously, you're saying Grant's the only one who's broken 27 minutes. But I think that to make that team, you have to be a sub-27 caliber runner, if not better. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just cause like the 10 K you race it so few times, you don't always get that opportunity to go out there and like do what Grant did and like run that, like a time trial and put on like that best performance. Um, 
you're often just running it at like the championships and so you don't always get to put that fast time out there but like yeah grant was certainly the class of the field with the, the the american record but i don't think a lot of those americans are like too far behind that like you saw woody running with him in that american record leading it for 8k or whatever until he, he dropped out um doing his pacing so i think that like yeah grant has the 2633 pr but i think there's a lot of americans who are like maybe close to that caliber yeah and i think you look at the team that's going to be competing in eugene of you grant and sean that's probably the best 10k team the u.s has ever sent to a global championship i'm yeah. going to imagine certainly if you look at prs in the 10k and 5k yeah, yeah and, not even and, close. and that's pretty cool that you guys are all i would say relatively young uh especially for 10k guys you know like mm. you can be a 10 really good 10k runner for a long time if you do it right so it's just it's gonna be very exciting because you all guys all do have the tools to compete at world champs 10k so that's gonna be absolutely sick and as we've said throughout the show that's kind of what everything's been leading up to for you this year and also for the bowman we know how they operate they operate to peak at world champs mm-hmm. as well there that's how they are so you can assume that they're gonna get that right and be really ready to go so that's just gonna be sick so yeah it was good to have you on so you could talk about that stuff because we didn't we wanted to have you on right after it but just the scheduling work but that's something that we definitely don't want to I don't think you can understate how amazing that is, you know, to go out there and win the U.S. 10K. So that was very cool. But, uh, yeah, so everything's looking everything's looking pretty damn good in, in Kleka world, the King Kleka. But moving on to uh, Mr. Keith McSqueezy. Kind of crazy that it's taken us this long in the episode to talk about the fact that Ollie just ran... 347 in the mile but here we are <laughs> finally in the squeeze it on there's just there's just so much so much good shit going on bro so much it's good exciting. shit it was uh to watch that race was sweet because just i don't think there's anyone else in the sport that so confidently says what they're gonna go and try and do <laughs> and then they go and do it that like you were obviously that race played out as you expected it to go yeah. it was you know it was nice it was good conditions yeah in their backyard and Jakob isn't afraid to sit on the pace like when he says I'm gonna go for the European record you know he's he's gonna go for it he's not gonna he's not gonna like deal daddle like he's he's gonna go and he's gonna run pretty he was running you guys ran pretty even splits huh that last lap was the slowest was it actually mm-hmm. the 1500s turned into the 800 you it's, like a, it's, like a re, it's like a regression yeah. He's great. Oh, he loves a regression, right? Yeah. So I've been training. Does them all fall? So I've been training, baby. That's that's why you see me dying in every workout because I'm training for that. But yeah, He's training for the race. You, you were clearly so locked in. You were on Jakob's shoulder within, I don't know how long, but pretty quickly. Yeah, straight away, I think. Straight away. Oh no, I, yeah, I, I, um, I mean, I said this in the last pod, and I probably shouldn't like be keep telling people what I'm gonna do in races, but yeah, my, my plan was to get on Jakob straight away, and I just got a really good start. How hard, did, how hard did you have to sprint off the line? Honestly, I felt pretty good. Like, I think I was used to it because he right. always has a always. really good start. Always yeah. gets off the line, yeah. I, 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 get off, I think I get off the line pretty solid, and I felt pretty relaxed, and I got right, right behind the paces, and then I left that little gap, and Jakob goes, thank you very much. I think, too, that people were going to respect that space because they knew you were yeah. going to, like, yeah, if, if anyone was going to go up right on Jakob in that race, like, I mean, it, yeah, maybe Whiteman. It was, White, it was Whiteman or me because yeah. I, I did talk to Whiteman before and he, like, Whiteman ran 332 in Rabat. He's looking fantastic right now heading into British Champs. Really lovely guy. He was hanging out with Joe and I and Alicia and the, and the team a bit in Oslo. He was kind of saying, like, yeah, he's going to go for it. Like, when you know that that's the situation the race is going to be, like, usually 
with championship racing or like with Joe's 5K or Alicia's 5K or Jordy's 5K, sometimes you don't know what's actually going to happen. Mm. Like people say things, but with it being in Norway, um, all the talk about him running the European record and the pacing to having two paces, you just knew that that's what was going to happen. Yeah. Well, who are um, the top guys in that race? It was obviously Jakob, you, Jake. Mo Kattir. Mo Kattir, but he um, like was sick and yeah, dropped out. Yeah, Fontes was in there. Matt Ramson was, was in Gurley there. Neil Charles. Yeah, Neil Gurley. But like, I Boy think Charles. that like even looking from like Jake's perspective, like he probably was going to let you get that position because if he was going to beat you, he has such a great last 200. Very good. Like more, more of an 800 background. So yeah. like, he, and he knows you're going to stay on the pace. So, yeah. like, there's no better pacemaker than Jakob Bingerbritz and Oli Hor. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's like, pretty, pretty much. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure I'm sure Jake and Ingi listened to the pod, so they knew exactly what Keith McSqueeze was going to do. Yeah. Exactly. Maybe this is actually, you, we have an advantage on here because you actually saved that spot on the race by talking about it beforehand. Yeah. Yeah, you, maybe. You, you, yeah, you reserved it. Yeah, yeah, you reserved yeah. that spot on the that's line. That's my spot. <laughs> just, on the, just above, just above uh, Jakob's crack, it just says reserved for Oli Hawk. Spot right there. Um, but yeah, it I like the race went out. I mean, I was pretty nervous. This is probably the nervous, most nervous I've been in this year. Really? Because I think this race was. I mean, I've run. I've had a really good year this year, but this race I felt like was going to be a defining moment of like, am I in contention to be in the conversation of medals? Like, can I actually run with this guy? Like, because he is the definitive mark of the best in the world in this event. Like, can I run with him? Like, is that is it possible? Like, I've run in races where. You know, I was able to close a little hard, get a, get a get a second at pre, and Birmingham was a third. Like, but I hadn't really shown that kind of step yet. I think it was a big step for me this race. So I was I was extremely nervous and going into it, like I was finally wearing the on spikes. Um, they were a little bit a little bit too too big on one foot. I think one foot's like really small and you the have other. you have different size feet. I think so. They just didn't fit that well and I was trying different socks and stuff and Joe was giving me and some advice on like what to wear. But I just no socked it and it felt pretty good in the race. No socked it. Raw dogged it. Raw dogged <laughs> it in the race. Which I raw I raw dogged it with the other shoes, <laughs> other spikes. So um but yeah I I got out pretty well. Um two paces were there. I just made sure I got the paces and then I just like let a little gap, Jakob in and uh, got onto him and I think my mum and dad were watching they said that's the most focused I've ever looked in a race because I was just like making sure he didn't get an inch um, and just to stay relaxed as possible I will never forget running around the bend and just hearing the crowd going Jakob, Jakob, Jakob it was nuts it was just it was just crazy um, but yeah we're going around and I think I felt amazing I think with on the third lap I actually had the, the thought and the euphoria of like I can do it I can beat this guy I can beat him in his home turf. And then it got to the back straight of the last lap and he just blew my doors off. Like, he just was so much stronger than I was um, 200 ago. But I was able to hold my form and stay as relaxed as I could. And I actually realized that he didn't, he only got a second on me really, um, which to me was like a huge, huge bonus. Cause I think the way um, I ran that was that I just didn't have the last 200, but I still held on very well for the time that I ran. Um, but yeah, it's just, I tried to squeeze him. Um, it was 300 to go. And the problem is my toothpaste squeeze was out and his was still, <laughs> still had a little bit left. So got out squeezed. I got out squeezed by, uh, by Ingi. And you know what? He ran that race amazing and he deserves um, that win. Cause I, I tried everything I could. I just couldn't get him. But I knew the momentum for me moving forward from that race is so big that going into world champs, I do have a lot of confidence that if a situation comes out, whatever the type of race it is, I can get onto him and I can run, run with him and compete against him um, a lot more than I thought I could before uh, Oslo. Like, 
That's mm-hmm. pretty, yeah. yeah. And then you never know what can happen on a different day. You never know what can happen. Is that going to be a new saying? Instead of outclassing someone, you're going to out-squeeze, out-squeeze them? them. <laughs> Just out-squeeze them. <laughs> They're out-squeeze. They're out-squeeze, mate. I mean, I feel like that's, that's what we've got to talk about. Like, how is Jakob going to be beaten? Well, me and, me and Whiteman had that this chat. This year, you know? Me and Whiteman had that chat. Um, it took COVID indoors to beat him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think he was that symptomatic, though, to be honest. I was with him in the call room. He seemed okay. He didn't seem... I mean, the, obviously, you're not going to be 100%, but that race was also insane because that, that track was not that quick. They ran... That was a crazy race. But me and Whiteman were cooling down and we're chatting about it with Joe, and I think... The, just getting Kip saying in there running a 54 middle lap, like, <laughs> that could break Let's put, I, think, break I think it's more variable like yeah. like this yes. race was you yeah. and Jakob and like even like Whiteman he was he was behind you and like yeah, he was there he, for he faded the a little race. bit but like you put in more variables into the race and like anything can happen mm. you know what I mean mm. like you put in yeah like uh, Kip saying and he throws in like a crazy lap like that's gonna that's like Jakob was expecting exactly what happened yeah. in that, in, in, at Bislett. He and got exactly so, what he like wanted to get out of the race. Yeah. Um, There's not going to be pacing lights in Eugene. Yeah. yeah. And I think leading into to Worlds because of the rounds, and he even said this to us when we were uh, doing our pre-meets, like you never know what's going to happen in the rounds. So like for him, even leading the Europeans, like he doesn't know how he's going to feel after the 1500 or the 5K or, or whatever. But I think those races, particularly 1500 now, Jordy already mentioned, like it's raced so much differently. But could it still be raced like that through every round? I don't think so. Yeah, it depends. The Olympics was weird last year because you knew that there were certain people who wanted it to be quick the whole mm. time, like Stewie McSwain mm-hmm. and also just Chariot. Like The way that they were racing at that time, you knew that they were going to make it quick from the start. But now everyone knows that if those guys make it quick, like Jakob is just going to be able to match that. And then he's going to be able to out-squeeze whoever yeah. it is. Out-squeeze. So it's like they it's look at change. it more like a, like not just like a one-race final. They look at it like a boxing match, like, you know, taking it out of someone every round. Exactly. You know, like and three rounds to like... He's definitely very strong to be able to do that. Because like for someone like Wyman, he even said like the A15 guy, he relies on like that close. And if you weed someone out of that, they're going to be less dangerous coming into the finals if you're running like a 333 to make this, the final. Yeah, um, but it's going to be an interesting race. It's going to be really interesting. Yeah, but Wayman certainly like worked on his strength. That, I mean, what yeah. do you run for three K indoors? Three K seven thirty seven, I think. Yeah, yeah. like no, that's, he's he knows it's, it's it, no joke. He knows the game is changing, but the guy's so good, like one forty four eight hundred guy. So yeah, he's not going to lose his best tool in the mm-hmm, kit, but mm-hmm. he is yeah working on the strength, and it's going to be really interesting to see how, particularly with the UK champs coming up with the USA's as well. That fifteen hundred men's is going to be a really good race because one really good guy is going to miss out. You got Gooley, Kerr, uh, Whiteman, and Hayward. Hayward. All good guys that are probably that are good enough to make the any final? other team. Yeah, they're, they're and the final, the yeah. Final, the world champs. All four of them have been in the final. They the all world, have. All Olympics. Yeah. So it's going to be a crazy race, and that's going to be interesting to see how that goes down. But um, yeah, Whiteman was right there. He ran three fifty. He just he just died a bit at the end, and yeah. <coughs> it was a pretty crazy race. I mean, Jakob's time is sixth all-time mile ever. And he was just off Steve Cram's record. Like, if you look at the list of top 10 milers ever in the world, that list is insane. Like, yeah. to be in that company, Jakob is definitely it's putting It's crazy to me that, that that was only sixth all time. Like, yeah. just watching that, I'm yeah. like, how are there people who are running faster than but me? It was, also, it was also, I think, the fastest time in, like, 20 years. Yeah, 20 well. 2001. Yeah. 2001. So that time. puts a lot of perspective yeah. on... Well, how freaking doped up they were back in the day. Yeah, yeah. But also, yeah, how that makes it seem even more amazing. I it's think. incredible. And he's going to, like, hear him, he's riding that wave now that, like, he's going to be extremely hard to beat. So he's, yeah. he's going to have all the targets on his back, but he's been so used to it now that 
I think he's going to thrive in, in Eugene. And yeah, anything can happen. But he's definitely looking like the clear favorite in the 15. Definitely looking like the favorite. But I think, I certainly think he's going to be beatable because, yeah, he, he doesn't win races in, well, I guess in the Olympics. He won in a kickdown at the end. But still, that was a fast race. You know he's going to make a move at some point, but it's probably not going to be from the very start of the race. And I think people like yourself are now feeling confident enough that whenever he makes a move, you're going to stick on his shoulder and he's going to be the one using all the energy to make that move. So then if you can stay there until 100 to go, anything can Me- Mental energy too. Yeah. It's a mental game. It is a, it's a mental game, mental peak. And like particularly looking at that race, it was very European. Um, Australian, there was no, no Africans in it and Americans. So you put the Americans and the Africans in those type of races. That's true. Um, that's going to create different environment as well. Cooper and Cole, notorious with the kicks. <laughs> Teardrop and Hulk Hocker. Cole, Cole's got a great kick. He does, Cooper's yeah. got a pretty good kick too. Yeah. Um, and the, the you know Chariot's a world champion for a reason. He knows how to you know turn up. So I think it's going to be a great event. Um, and I'm excited that that race has given me confidence to be able to race with with all of them. So. Yeah. What, what, was cra- what was crazy was hearing. Well, it was very cool having Steve Cram commentating. Yeah. yeah that was the race that Yaka was trying to break his record. But hearing the the difference in the way that he ran that record was unbelievable like you you and Jakob split 248 at the bell and then ran like I guess a 58 and maybe you ran a 59 or something he split 253 so he was like over five seconds behind where Jakob was and ran 346 how epic of a race would that have been if someone did like someone needs to mash that video together because yeah, so. yeah, like, they're both in graphic. Austin weren't they yeah, same mm. track. Yeah, same track. Like I bet someone like maybe Gawley or Charles who ran 352, they might have split yeah. 253 back there and like, could have won that race with the same epic. last lap. That'd be so cool to see. Like, that's crazy I mean, to think. Cram, Cram even talked about it. He wasn't even going for any record. He just wanted to beat Seb. He yeah. just wanted to beat Seb Coe. He didn't care about any record and he closed down as hard as he could because he thought that that was the way to beat Seb and he just broke the European record. So, it, yeah, it, it puts into perspective how different it is now. Um, but also, do you know... If if that did happen to Jakob, because him being so close to Cram, if you had that kind of rematch somehow, would Jakob be able to push even further to beat Cram? It would be interesting because I I don't know like Cram closing that hard. Do you reckon that's gonna be just not existent anymore? Like, do you reckon anybody could do that in that race in Oslo if you had a Steve Cram like that in that race against Jakob? If it was a race, yeah, yeah. But like, I feel like with today's but day would and Cram age, go with the pace, or would he would like? Would well, no, it'd be but completely different. It's just yeah. such a different day and age where, like, yeah. yeah, people just like get after these times. Like you're saying, you know, like he just wanted to beat Seb Co. Yeah, he didn't care. And about so, the like, time, it'd be really. like if it'd be like if he, you know, just wanted to beat you or something, and like didn't have pace lights, didn't have like even really maybe even a pacer. Like it was just like doing what he had to do to win. Yeah. So like. I just think, yeah, it's hard to recreate some of those ep- it is. epic races because the the times change, like, with just people's approach to racing. I mean, like, you've seen that shift in the 1500, like you were saying, how it's turned into more than 800. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. but to recap this, the magnitude of that performance for Ollie, 347, that was the 13th fastest all time. So right among, like, these ridiculous names, it was the Oceania record. Take that, I guess, it was, was it Craig Mottram? Stewie. Stewie's. Uh, Stewie. Did he break it last, last year? year? He broke it last year at Oslo. He sent me a nice message. I too. forgot about that. Yeah. No, so what, what was the record before that? 348.5. Okay. So you, you, you beat it by almost a second. I beat it by a second. second, yeah. That is ridiculous. Um, and, and, like, I think Stewie was in amazing shape then, too. So 
definitely a good confidence booster going into Worlds. Mm-hmm. Sure. So, once again, another crazy freaking outing for the team going to Europe mm-hmm. and getting all these big races in. It's like, it's crazy yeah. to just be it, it, and see it happen. It's, it's definitely crazy because, like, I mean, our team seems pretty desirable. I think people would want to join our team. Oh, oh really? Good yeah. transition. Yeah. Good transition. Wow, what a transition. <laughs> Actually, you know what? After watching Ollie run these races recently, I'm starting to realize that the list of people that will be Ollie Hoare in 2022 is very, very slim. I feel good to be on that list. Thanks, bro. Oh. <laughs> Fuck you, bitch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be George. a very short list. Classic George, but you should, get, you should get a um, you should get a pay bonus for that. Probably should, eh? Yeah. yeah, that was talk to my guy. <laughs> talk to you. Guys. Get my agent. I'll get the option. <laughs> yeah, but so there was just today some big announcements. On just signed four new people, and two of them assigned to the OAC, and we're very excited because these guys came on our visit, and I don't think any of us expected to get the both both of them because these are two of the best milers to come through the NCAA probably ever definitely in recent recent memory it's Yared Negus and Mario Garcia what's his last name Romo. Romo Romo so it's just like crazy man I think having all these 1500 guys training together it's gonna be wild um we're so happy for them to come and join I don't think I don't think Mario is gonna be out here until the fall Yared we're not sure perhaps he'll be here a little bit before that he's about to go race USA's obviously and i mean he just ran 334 at portland uh won a pretty big race so he should be ready to go so yeah i think it's i don't know it's crazy how things are moving so quickly there's so much success and then you get these amazing recruits joining it's pretty awesome the momentum is there but we definitely wanted to talk a bit with these boys about the early days of oac because i think if you watch the podcast this is we're really happy because this is a really good outlet to show you in general the underbelly of how a lot of this stuff works and how things operate and the OAC is this is year two I guess but right about two right exactly two years, pretty right? much yeah, we right? pretty much announced in July two years ago mm-hmm. around the fourth so yeah it's it's been known to be a new team very young team but now definitely those changes are happening when it's you know you have these people that are super established and then we got these new amazing classes or whatever you want to call it people coming in like things are definitely changing but yeah definitely wasn't always glamorous not that we're living super glamorous lives now <laughs> like there's definitely still uh, some stuff but yeah we wanted to talk about some of the best oac early day stories because i think these guys definitely have some good ones of uh just though it's it's crazy to see your team get brought together like this because i think normally when a team starts for example, Jerry Schumacher going to Nike, he brought a bunch of guys. He brought maybe five guys that he was already coaching from Wisconsin, like Simon Byer, Solinsky, Tegenkamp. This team was literally, like, starting from, like... From scratch. Like, no one had been coached. I guess some of the girls had been coached by Ritz before, but none of the guys had been coached by Ritz. It was, Mm -hmm. let's move to Boulder, make a pro team, and there wasn't... I mean, there are obviously a lot of pro, pro teams in Boulder, but none quite like this, so... Yeah, what were those early day vibes for you guys? You guys have some good stories, I know. Yeah, well, it's crazy just thinking that pretty quickly after, like, within two years, now there are more new people on the team than there are original Mm. members. It's true. Which is, like, the growth has been crazy. And, yeah, I mean, I'll let Clicker start this one off, as he was first. 
my, well, my first experience with Ritz was uh, <laughs> like he started coaching me remotely because um, he hadn't moved out here yet. And like at that point, I had no idea when he was going to move out here because like he had a very like he talks about it like it was a mansion in Michigan that he had to sell. <laughs> And he seemed to really like Michigan and his wife really likes Michigan. And so like, I was like, wow, like it doesn't sound like he's going to be out here for a while. And, but he's like, Hey, I'm going to fly out like this weekend just to like be there for your long run. And I was like, Oh, that's pretty cool. Like just flying out here for my long run. And he rode 20 miles with me on gravel on my fixed gear bike. <laughs> and like, he said that he's like, yeah, I probably won't ever be able to have kids again after that, <laughs> even though he doesn't probably want more kids. So maybe a good thing. Yeah. Um, but that was like pretty funny. And then he was visiting some houses that weekend. He was telling me, he's like, yeah, every house is just terrible. Like we, we can't find anything. And I was just like pretty bummed because I was like, wow, like just going to be kind of out here alone, you know? And at that point, uh, Ollie hadn't signed, Jordy hadn't signed, Carlos hadn't signed. So it was like, I was like, wow, like it's great that I'm like got this pro contract now, but like my coach doesn't seem like he's going to move out here so far. Like no one's committed to signing. But then like he went and visited a house that day and he was like, like, He's like, yeah, it was like a pretty good house today. Like we, we liked it a lot in, in Niwot. And I was like, oh, that's good. And then like that Wednesday, he's like, yeah, like our house is on the market. We put an offer on the house in Niwot. And like he moved out like shortly after. Like it was like the quickest thing ever, like selling a house and moving out here, which just like really showed his dedication to that team early on. But like, yeah, my first memory was him just biking that like 20 miles on a fixed gear, yeah. like gravel road. I was just like, <laughs> wow, this is insane. <laughs> that's, that's classic Rich. Yeah. He would do anything for his athletes. But the early days, you guys were talking about lifting in Ritz's gym. Well, yeah, his garage, actually. His garage, It was, uh, I mean, well, so me, Carlos, and Jordy signed after Joe. And, like, looking at it from our perspective, particularly with the NCAA being the situation with COVID, like, Arn was taking a huge, we were all taking a huge risk. It was, like, a, it was a risky thing to do. Um, it's during COVID. We didn't know, like, the future was kind of ambiguous. And... You're signing the best guys at NCAA, like all of them. Like really, like you had Carlos, George, myself, and Joe were like the names in the NCAA at that point that were gonna get contracts and on got all of them. Um, and then we also signed Monson. So like really they just grabbed this whole market and then just put this with this new coach in a new place to see if it's gonna work. And I didn't know what this was gonna be like, um, but then learning from Joe and then obviously learning from like being able to do lifts in his garage like how dedicated he was to like getting things done whether it was like temporary like he knew that it was going to get better but this is what we're working with right now it was like very much humble beginnings i think mm -hmm. because we were just lifting rocks and, and <laughs> yeah literally just literally, literally walking around yeah with <laughs> plates over our, like we're just doing crazy Med ball shit. throws with rocks yeah it was just like lifting on the road yeah. yeah and in the corner like it was just like half the garage was taken up by his like ultra g yeah well half of it by the ultra g and then just like lawn mowers yeah. and like all his machinery but and i just say, like some rocks and stuff in one corner like things have definitely gotten a bit more like glamorous over the years but in terms of like the work we we're able to put in like dathan kind of like never left any stone unturned and no. so like yeah like we we're lifting in his garage like just i mean like he's we didn't have a treatment person at the time and so he's like flying out jason who ultimately ended up being like one of our main guys now but like just seeing early on his dedication to like 
yeah, just because we don't have all the pieces in place. Like, we're going to get those pieces in place, but, like, we're still not going to leave any stone unturned. Like, we're going to get in, like, we're going to start lifting right away, even though, like, those early lifts, like, I kid you not, we could not do a single thing on there. Like, Nathan <laughs> would just be, like, showing us up in the weight room, and, like, th- like he was doing things that, like, were literally physically impossible for us to do. Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't do half the shit. Like, <laughs> like, it was crazy. I felt like we were, like, flopping around the cement floor in his garage. I felt like a wet noodle. Like, yeah. it was ridiculous. And then... We're thinking, okay, like, Dathan wanted to test our fitness a little bit when we were kind of more established, and we're doing this sub-full effort uh, in Niwot. And I remember Dathan was trying to keep it chill because of COVID and stuff, but people were turning out because it's a new team. People want to know what the hell is going on. Um, and me and Joe ran sub-four there, uh, 358, 356. Some great spikes. With the Shinkers, <laughs> which I don't think people will not know about the Shinkers much. There's this on-spike that was initially, like, sent to us, and the first race we did... Um, was actually in Tennessee. But no, 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 no. The mile was the first. I think race. the mile, mile was the first. mile was before Tennessee. The yeah. mile was, was the, the like the, we race, like an, the race race was in Tennessee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The mile, the mile race. Yeah, we was. And I remember Joe finishing the race, and I was trying to walk walk around with it. And Joe's like, just yelling, "Fuck my feet!" Because <laughs> they were just like like raw, really bad spikes. Like they just weren't like they were they were fine for what we could use. Like they weren't terrible in the sense of like it was gonna make like performance, us. but like. It just oh the hot feet you just get a hot feet with them yeah um but we did that and I remember Dathan called me after that race we were heading back to Maxwell Morgs yeah and uh, Dathan just goes to me he's like we're gonna do something special here I know it's coming like everyone here we're gonna work and we're gonna get to a better place and it's gonna be awesome trust me and I was like I trust you like we were able to do something pretty crazy here and moving on from that I ran 334 um, in my first race Joe ran 337 337 yeah yeah and again heat hot feet like i was like this trying to like not put my feet on the the back of the um thing and joe's like trying to take his shoes off as quickly as possible um but we can can talk about how bad they were now because of how 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 good amazing they are now but the funny thing about those shoes was the guy who was like in charge of making them like great guy still works with the brand lovely but he had like so much on his plate that like making those spikes he probably did in like 30 minutes just because of like he was literally making everything for on and like we remember at one point like after that race, I remember seeing like on posted this photo of him like at a table like this with Roger Federer, like making a shoe. I'm like, oh, this is why like he didn't have any time for our spikes. He's like literally making Roger Federer's tennis shoes. Yeah. yeah. And he was like Roger Federer's everything. He was like Roger Federer's guy. Like he would go to all of his meets or like tennis matches and like tweak his shoes and stuff. And so I was like, oh, it makes sense like why our shoes are on the back burner. But then like fast forward now and it's like an innovation team, lightning team it's called of like 30 people yeah, it was one guy. It was one guy. And now it's over 30 people. That's just the great thing. No, 30 people well. just making performance apparel yeah. and shoes. And that was one guy making performance apparel and shoes for running, tennis, luge, or whatever. Did, yeah, that, yeah. Yeah. Every, that, every other that, shoe as well. Yeah. Like, he was doing everything. And like that just shows you the growth of the brand, too. Like They've just gone from like one level to another very, very quickly. And for us, we were kind of in that transitional process of not being any performance shoes to doing these great workouts working out in the gym um hitting these times and then slowly when the product started to come in and they started to be able to build financing like get this team to be able to support these athletes things started to get rolling and it was it was pretty cool to be a part of that process because we literally got told I, I i'm sure with our phone calls signing with them was like oh we're gonna build like we're gonna send a performance team like we're gonna build a performance team around you you're gonna be the start of it and literally we were yeah looking back at it now now we have this product that's coming out that's gonna be um, even like evening out 
yeah. playing field for us and the, the performances have been there and now the product's going to be there. It's pretty exciting to be able to take that journey and see where we came from, really humble beginnings um, to now. So The cool thing about the performance team though is they literally feel like they're like on our team. Yeah. Like the head of Jordan Donnelly was saying like he's taking his vacation after the Diamond League final, which yeah. is like when all of us will take our vacation. <laughs> and so like his whole like schedule lines up with our racing schedule. Yeah. Like he was in Oslo, he'll be at World Champs. He was at Penn Relays, like just getting data on the spikes, what we like, what we don't like. Like, I mean, we were doing our workout in St. Moritz and he was on the phone on our cool down with one of the other Lightning team members who was in the factories in Vietnam, like saying like, all right, for the next pair off the line, we need to like tweak this certain thing, tweak that. And so it's like, in a way, still very like grassroots and like mm. small operation, but like the the team that we have is like totally world class and like no other brand does that though. No other brand like communicates that acutely with their athletes. Yeah, no, I was literally staying at his house a few days yeah. ago. Yeah, Camilla was staying at his house too when she was she was in Zurich. So yeah, it's he, they're special. just they're very very like just good people, and it's been an absolute pleasure to work with the Lightning team. And I think the exciting thing as well moving forward is, I mean, even. Milrose, for example, I think a lot of our fans would know about that one was was huge for the brand because that was when the first rendition of the spikes came out and they um, were, were testing them with Joe, Alicia, and George and like there was this kind of anticipation of like are they going to wear them like and then they come out and then just George and Alicia kill it. Sage as well, yeah. um, wearing the wearing the spike. She was wearing the the other version. Right? Yeah, yeah. It would honestly be great to have like a backstory of like the weeks leading up to Mil even just like the week leading up to Milrose like I feel like that was like so much happened in that one week mm. like we first saw the spikes which I wasn't like competing I was injured but like for Jordy and and Ollie and Alicia it was like they first saw the spikes and then it was like yeah like are they gonna wear them are they not gonna wear them and then like Alicia goes and wins Jordy goes and wins like in the shoes mm. and it was just like I mean oh. Sage had a great race and then, in, yeah yeah Sage too, too like had a great 800 but yeah it was like this whole thing of like were they gonna wear them or not and like it just kind of sucks we didn't like really get that captured like yeah. like yeah. media wise because i think that a lot of people would like to see those like behind the scenes stories because it's not just like i don't want to say like as glamorous as it appears on the outside but it's like much more like uh there's so much more that goes into it than just like getting oh, the shoes wearing yeah. the shoes you the know? character in it like jordan was shaving off side of the yeah. plate just to get people to wear it because the plate wasn't correct and to, to be able to capture that for an audience that is fans of our group or fan of the sport it, it, for the brand itself for Jordan like that's such a good light on like what it takes to be competing in such a high intensity sport of of spikes spikes in general it's just like it's changed the game yeah you know, like Jordan had a great saying that the athlete is the cake and the spikes are the icing like that that's like really a good analogy of what um, the lightning team's about and now fast forward to where we are now um, it's just it's, it's crazy it's been two years and now we have product that is just like maybe even better than our competitors not so. a lot of product like you raced in your spikes in oslo and then two <laughs> yeah. days later uh jordy racing the same pair in paris we so have, like, have one product they're coming they're coming they're coming, we they're have coming. One, they're coming off next one month. spike next month. um one spike but they are they are sending them out and i and i i personally and jordy and um joe i think feel the same way this spike that we're wearing is better than dragonfly um it's a really good spike so it's exciting to be able to see a product like that and train in it in St. Moritz and be like, this is freaking sweet. Yeah. And like, again, capturing in St. Moritz. Yeah. There's no media there for St. Moritz, unfortunately, which was like a shame because like all that build up to Oslo and Paris and the new rendition of the Spikes, there was no media to cover it. And it was a real shame because I think the athlete 
um, going through that process for a fan, the engagement there would be pretty. The big. first, the first one k rep with the new spikes yeah. on went out in like twenty eight. Yeah, you went out really <laughs> quick. Yeah, because they felt too good. Like Joe's yeah. like, oh shit, I couldn't. Dude, that shit would be so good to yeah. film. Yeah. Yeah. Luckily, Man, we got time. a photo of it that yeah. I, that I think <laughs> yeah. I posted. I was you like, did, yeah, you did mention it. I was like twenty it, yeah. meters up on Jordy, and we ran yeah. like two thirty three or something. So it's a shame oh, that yeah, the media's like not there for that, but the product and the performances are there. So like, it's exciting to be able to follow that journey ourselves and be really invested in each other and, and, and what we're doing. So Yeah, I think, that, I mean, we're still young in certain ways, so that media stuff hopefully catches up to mm. the rest of the stuff which we're talking about, which is so amazing. I think mm. at the end of the day, if you look at like what you've talked about, a lot of it comes down to just having the right people. I think everyone on this team gives Ritz a lot of credit because he, his dedication and his passion is pretty unrivaled in terms of, being a coach i couldn't imagine him being anything but a professional running coach his intensity and just attention to detail it's it's so amazing and obviously it's a big reason for the results but then also you have to give credit to every single member of the team as well because 100 it's it's just crazy and it's been so sweet and yeah those two years went by very quickly and now we've designed two of the best 1500 meter miles in the con you know it's just, it's crazy like i definitely um I'm excited for them to come here and train with us. And I think it just shows, I think Jordy was mentioning that like, we're, we're definitely established now as a group. I feel like our first year was all about proving ourselves mm. and proving like we belong in this circuit of professional running. Where now I think we're so we're established to the point where like, I think we don't need to like have people going, who's the OAC? I think people know who we are now. Yeah, like if it's like a one year thing, like did they just like come out of the gates high yeah. and have one good year? It's like, no, like now we have, it's not just Ollie performing well. It's not just Alicia. It's like, yeah, we have like you guys at the top and we got like, but then we have like even people like moving up like Sage, like moving up development. Sub like, two. like now she's sub two and she's like starting to kill it on the diamond league circuit. And like, she's just like clawing her way to like the world ranks in the 800 meter. Yeah. And so it's like just really cool to see that. Yeah. It's not just like we have one or two guys, like a lot of teams have who are like tearing it up on the world scene. It's like the whole team I feel like is making these like steps forward mm. towards being at that level. Yeah, and we're so invested in each other as well. I think it's just great, like, uh, being able to celebrate results um, with each other. is just It's been a really fun ride, and I'm excited for more results to come because I know they are. And, uh, yeah, it's just it's crazy. You know, I, I can definitely see now that, uh, for me personally, I'm going to say it, but I think we are definitely one of the best groups in the world um, in, this, in this sport. So it's pretty cool to be able to create something like that, and Ritz is, definitely deserves a lot of credit for it. And Jordan... And the Lightning team being able to like respond and, and build a performance product in such a short amount of time yeah. is pretty incredible. India, I got even a step further. Like the, the the people at the top at on, like yeah. you know they're they're like building these teams. Yeah. Like you know the Lightning team, our team, like the marketing team. It's just like they've really picked the right people, and like you could say it's by luck, but also like we just things just keep going right yeah. and, and so at some point you got to like not attribute that to luck and say yeah i think that who's like steering this ship is pretty smart and like yeah. a lot of right decisions have been made along the way yeah. Yeah. we were meeting with two of the founders last week and the ceo was asking for one of our like oac articon <laughs> like bands like ritz literally took his one off his wrist and gave it to our ceo yeah because he was that invested in our team yeah like he texted like, yeah he, i want one of those yeah, and he like like he texts us like after like a good race like i'm sure ollie and like mm. myself after oslo like he's watching our races he's not just like mm. having it on the tv he's like invested like he was like telling me like oh i thought you were gonna win like your move was amazing like he knows the sport coming from his triathlon background but like yeah, it's very cool, like, how invested they are in, like, what we're doing more than just, like, yeah, we want to see you on a podium. Like, they're invested in the journey of what and, we're and doing. Definitely, and I think Olivier as well. Like, I remember 
um, going to the Zurich Diamond League final, he, he his kids like watched it with him. Like he got his kids to watch like the USA um, Olympic trials. So to have a founder that invested in in what we're doing is is uh, pretty cool. And and the coolest thing was was going to that. Um, when we went to check the HQ out, I looked at Jordan's laptop, coffee club sticker, bang on there. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, we should comment on the new headquarters. Like, it's insane. I guess it's you crazy. didn't go, but dude, it was insane. Like, their old building, from my impression, was like a few, like, three-story building, like, really small. And then, like, across the way now, it's like this 20-story skyscraper with an on logo on the top. And, like, we were sitting out front there having coffee. And, like, how many people do you think, like, between the hotel, having coffee, going for a run, like, so many people were, like, and then we went in the new store. Mm. It was crazy. Like, everyone knew who OAC was. Like, we went in the store, and, like, they were setting up for the day. And, like, they got all the employees to stop what they were doing, like, take a photo with us, chat with us for a while. Like, it was really cool. Like, for me, my first time in Europe, like, going to Zurich and just seeing, like, wow, like, the response here, it's not just, like, like, they know who OAC is. Mm. Like, you go to Nike or Adidas, like, you're a running team, you go to their headquarters. Do you think, like, all the employees know who the running team is? Like, very unlikely you know but with on it's like really cool to see to see that yeah no that definitely makes it feel very special and it is very special i think um this has been a kind of long one i think on that note we can probably end it joe's gotta get off to some i gotta get off to treatment i'm already like yeah. 40 minutes late <laughs> gotta go to treatment but definitely yeah we want to give a shout out to the new uh people that just signed mario and yard good luck to yard and sage and usa's this weekend uh we didn't even have really time for a u.s champs preview but Hopefully they both go out there and crush it. So. I mean, Yarn Goose, I'm going to put him for the win. Yeah. Yarn Goose for the win, 1,500 meters. Sage. Do a review once they make the yeah. team. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, Sage, I mean, she's been training amazing, so I'm excited to see what she can do in that yeah. calendar. Yeah. Yeah, but I think on that note, thanks for coming, yeah. Joe. Yeah, thanks for having me again. Thanks, everyone, for listening. That's episode 40.